You're listening to Mystic Magic, exploring our spirit to understand our lives. I'm Celeste A. Frazier, your hostess. I'm an ordained New Thought minister who embraces all faiths. I've pastored a few spiritual communities, written a few books, performed in various media. I write, produce, and perform. I'm a visioning facilitator, a diversity, equity, and inclusion facilitator, and with Mystic Magic, We explore amazing guests to find out what the divine reveals through us and how we may benefit from this magnificence. Stay tuned. This is Mystic Magic, exploring our spirit to understand our lives. Hey, hey, Mystic Magic podcast fans. We are in for a fantastic show today because today my guest is Reverend James Trapp. Reverend James Trapp is an inspirational speaker and a strategic advisor to individuals and organizations on enlightened leadership. He's currently the Senior Minister of Worship at the Spiritual Life Center in Sacramento, California. He's also president of Star Human Capital, a consulting firm dedicated to applying universal spiritual principles to inspire and instruct others to create their best lives and strategically improve their organizations. He is the former CEO of Unity Worldwide Ministries, the International Association for Unity Churches dedicated to creating positive paths for spiritual living. James is an active participant in cultivating a global community and fostering mutual understanding and respect amongst spiritual traditions of the world and has participated in the Parliament of the World's Religions held in Barcelona, Spain and Melbourne, Australia. He has also served as Senior Minister at Unity on the Bay in Miami, Florida, a dynamic and diverse spiritual community in South Florida. As a speaker and thought leader, he shares his message of respect, appreciation, and harmony with others in the global community. He has been a keynote speaker at numerous conferences, meetings, and events. In addition to being an ordained unity minister, James has a bachelor's degree in economics and African-American studies from Princeton University and a JD degree from the University of Florida. He studied at the Bar Center for Buddhist Studies, where he enhanced his proficiency in practicing and teaching mindfulness meditation. He is also a facilitator of compassionate communication and the appreciative inquiry method for organizational change. He's inspired by his son, Jalen Mandela Trapp, who is currently a senior at Howard University. And congratulations on that. Welcome. Thank you. Well, welcome. Well, well, Reverend Celeste, it's my absolute pleasure to be with you today and uh, engage in this conversation. So it's a great day to, to be able to do that. Yes, sir. Now, you are an advisor on the topic of enlightened leadership. Yes. Can you say more about enlightened leadership, like how you see it and how you see other people understanding it? Yeah, I make a distinction. You know, historically, you know, leadership was something that was top down from an organization. It came from kind of like the military mindset or model in which, you know, you had someone at the top. They had the the answers to everything, and they passed down these answers through their ranks to get to the the folks that had to implement you know the ideas. And our world has really gotten far more complex. 
so that there is no one person that has all the answers. Or in other words, what I'm saying is that because of this, the myriad of things that you have to deal with in our ever-changing world, you have to have a perspective from multiple people. And oftentimes, the ones who have the best perspective are not the people who are at the top, but the people who are actually on the front lines in an organization. So enlightened leadership is the idea that the answer to any challenge or difficulty or problem that an organization is going through is already in the room, but you have to go to the right people who are on the front lines of dealing with the issue. Uh, because oftentimes organizations will bring in, you know, an outside consultant and they'll give them a, a strategic plan or some ideas. But no one really knows more than the folks who are actually on the front line. So you give a voice to those who are inherently involved uh, in, the, in, in whatever your organization is and recognize that those are the people that probably have the best uh, solutions to the challenges that you're facing. Thank God we've arrived, right? <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I used to think that, you know, that, well, everybody knows this, but the reality is uh, we still have a number of folks who use the old model. Right. And there are times, I think, when you're, you are the leader that you have to make the decision. You know, things are, are critical and that falls into your lap. Sure. But I think for the, the overall vitality of an organization, the more you can get other people engaged, in, in co-creating, you know, the future or resolving an issue, uh, the more effective the organization will be. Yeah, and it helps people feel good about being seen and heard too, right? Yep. Yeah, I would say that one of the things that, you know, I've discovered over time that if you listen and allow people to share, even if you can't resolve everything they bring up, that they walk away feeling better about their experience and what they're going through. Now, you're the senior minister at Spiritual Life Center, and on the website, it says something to the effect that you have transformative interfaith services. Now, most, not all, but most New Thought organizations are very much vested in interfaith. Why is it important for you to put that on the website, or what is it that you do that's different about interfaith? Well, uh, this ministry, I'm following uh, a minister and a, a ministry team. Uh, there was Faith Moran and Michael Moran. They are the founders of this ministry, and I think they founded in the late 1990s. And their emphasis was on interfaith. It's a unity interfaith ministry is what, is, what we call ourselves. And so around that time, there was a lot of, how should I say challenges that other faith communities were having. This is maybe a little bit before 9-11. And so Michael and, and Faith decided that their focus would be to cooperate and work with other faith communities in the greater Sacramento area. So they would come together for, for different events and activities uh, in order to share ideas uh, with other faith communities. And as a result of that, I think they would believe that they would increase the sense of uh, understanding, cooperation, harmony, because the idea was that if you can get folks from different religions to come together and agree and have harmonious connections, that would be a foundation for bringing other 
what appears to be divisive factors uh, together. So it's basically a unity church with unity philosophy, but it spends a lot of its emphasis, or we spend a lot of our emphasis in interconnecting with other faith communities uh, outside of, of um, unity and outside of new thought for that matter. Well, you gotta connect or the healing can't happen, right? Absolutely. You know, I, I've come to the con conclusion more than anything else that if we're going to bring forth a, a cooperative, harmonious, co-creative world, that the most one of the most important things is that we have to be able to sit and listen and understand others. Oftentimes people come in with their ideas as to what is the right perspective, and uh, they're just waiting to share that. But the better thing, I think, is to first go in with a complete you know, beginner's mind, as they say in the Eastern philosophy, and uh, be open to what others have to say so you have an understanding. Uh, you know, as it says in that statement, you know, it's first understand before you're trying to be understood. And then you can move to some common ground for greater um, benefits for everybody. That's from the St. Francis prayer, right? Absolutely. I was trying to think of that. I couldn't. It wasn't <laughs> yeah. jumping right up there for the moment. Yeah, the St. Francis prayer. It's very powerful. Yeah. I think it's one of the most powerful things we can do for effective communication with other people. So you are also the president of Star Human Capital, a consulting firm dedicated to applying universal spiritual principles. This is not the norm. I mean, one doesn't yeah. often hear of a firm with the word capital in it applying to spiritual principles yeah uh, that you also majored in economics is one of your double majors at princeton so what are you doing are you doing economics <laughs> are you doing humans what's going on well mostly you know my work is primarily from a spiritual perspective but i have a friend who is a believe it or not a hedge fund manager uh, in south florida and he and i got to be you know still very close and I often would work and talk with him about how we'd apply spiritual principles to what appears to be a non-spiritual environment. And he's utilized those things to be very successful uh, in his own work. And normally you don't think about folks who are dealing with hedge funds, making money as being, quote, spiritual, but he comes from a spiritual perspective. So what I I do, I, for example, I was with a uh, I was with him because we did a uh, seminar. I guess it was a fireside chat, what we call. It. And most of the people that came were folks that were affiliated with his organization or people or clients of his, and they're pretty much you know for hardcore business people. But we wanted to share. I wanted to be able to share how we can bring these ideas of new thought, of spirituality, and how they can incorporate that into their own personal lives primarily. Because the idea is that we know that the higher you are in, in your own spiritual consciousness and awareness, the more effective you are for your organization. So I didn't use a lot of words like God or spirit or anything that you have to kind of put it in a different way, because oftentimes those are trigger words for those individuals who are allergic to anything that has to do with spirituality, but to put it in a way that they would understand. And that's basically what I do. You know, so sometimes I, I'll coach individuals one-on-one -on -one in how to implement different ideas 
uh, one of the things I, I, I focus on, you know, part of my enlightened leadership is how to uh, create effective teams. And so I may bring in this idea of what they call, you know, how to incorporate, you know, your, your team to have effective teams. Because one of the things I found out, uh, there was a, a study done by Google uh, a few years ago. And I think it's called the Aristotle Project, it was called. And they found that organizations who are do at the height of their effectiveness, one characteristic they find is that they have very high functioning teams. They have what they call perfect teams. And they studied that and they wanted to know how is it that you can create the perfect team. But that's not what they really answered. They really answered. They just knew that if you had a perfect team, your organization did better. And so I came up with a way to incorporate uh, some of the principles that we have, whether it's integrated decision making, uh, some of the ideas of enlightened leadership to incorporate that in the business settings to create more effective teams. Because we know when two, you know, we that st statement says if two or more gathered together, there I am in the midst of you. I also say that when two or more are working together for an idea or an ideal, the more powerful it is. And if people can integrate their energies, they're far more powerful than they could than what they would be able to do on their own. And so if you create effective and high functioning teams, your organization can really move forward. Well, it would be really fun too if they we're using prosperity principles in some of the major financial institutions and uh, we could all pull it together and actually be happy and rich, huh? Yeah. yeah, I think that's the next stage of our development here to uh, look at it from a, a spiritual perspective, a universal prosperity, uh, because I think what people often in that arena believe is that there's not enough to go around when, in fact, we live in an unlimited universe of ideas. And, uh, you know, you don't have to be in competition all the time. You can be in cooperation and everyone can be better off. Well, that's what happens when you start dealing with prosperity principles. You move away from that lack mentality yes. into an abundance mentality, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. Now, I, I see you've participated in a, a couple or a few Parliament of World Religions. Uh, what pulled you there? Well, this was kind of earlier in my spiritual journey. And I, I think the first time that I went, I was the president and CEO of Unity Worldwide Ministries. And uh, we felt that we wanted to have a, a presence at the parliament. And I seem to recall, this was a while back since, because uh, I haven't been to the last couple of ones, and I know they, yeah, so I haven't been to the ones most recently. But I do recall that uh, one of the parliament world religions that I went to, the idea was to have a, a new thought presence. And I recall that there were a number of ministers and teachers from different new thought organizations that did a presentation at the parliament and uh they asked me to be part of it and it was uh it was a wonderful experience to expose those who don't know much about our philosophy and to put it on a, a world stage such as that well i participated in the one that just passed and it was it was wonderful to kind of get a, a glimpse of a different approaches from all over the globe and um, and still to have a united message that everyone was agreeing to send yes. to the world. So yeah, I think that one of the things that, that was very powerful was that despite the wide array of different spiritual traditions that were represented there, that 
the parliament found common issues or common concerns that everyone could support. And I think that's a one way you can bring, you know, different groups together for a, a, a bigger a cause that's bigger than themselves, bigger than their own particular spiritual path. So um, I do recall that, you know, maybe one was uh, eliminating the religious violence and how we can provide more, you know, water to uh, understand, because water is such an important thing for the world. We take it for granted in the West, but water is a very precious commodity and, and, and often causes all kinds of concerns if you don't have enough of it. And uh, so those things, and so we had some folks locally would do their part to support maybe water wells in, in different parts of the world uh, when financially. And I knew a friend who actually went to uh, uh, one developing country and actually was on the ground to help create that. So um, so that's what came out of that. It was, it was, it was enlightening and often uh, helped us to see from a wider perspective rather than just from a limited, narrow Western viewpoint that what's happening in the world. Yeah, because Jesus said, know me by my works. And I mean, the Buddha set out to to extinguish poverty and, and, you know, and illness and all the sufferings of the people. So, you know, we have to remember that this isn't just about high lofty concepts, but about real practical applications of the principles, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. We call it practical. I, I would say this is what we engage in practical spirituality. <laughs> you know, how does it affect our day to day life? Because it's not about the hereafter it's the here and now Hello. and uh, how we can apply those principles, you know, to have heaven on earth in this moment, because that's our choice. Should we choose to accept that assignment? Now, you are the previous CEO of Unity Worldwide Ministries, as you mentioned. Now, what drew you into that position and how did that pave the way for the work that you're doing now? Well, uh, at the time I was, before I became the CEO, I was the senior minister at Unity on the Bay in Miami, Florida. And that was a, a very dynamic ministry, very diverse ministry because South Florida is a very diverse community. It's heavily Hispanic, but we had people from, you know, the local community, the Caribbean, uh, Europe, you know, economic diversity. You know, we may have someone who may have just come out of a drug rehab center sitting next to somebody who, you know, lived on one of those multi-million dollar places on the islands. And so one of the things that we I was able to do is, is really grow a ministry and attract a very large number of young people, because I think 70% of our people at the time were probably under 40. So I was much younger then too. So that makes a big difference. <laughs> and so because of that success, I was asked, well, would you be willing to, you know, become the CEO? And I, I said, well, maybe I love where I was at and what I was doing. And I said, well, maybe this is a higher calling or a spirit is calling me to do something more on a, on a different scale. And so I, I did do that and I was there for seven years. And so the whole idea is just to bring a little bit of that consciousness to the uh, worldwide movement. Uh, during that time, you know, that's when we got involved in, in kind of branding or rebranding or re our organization. And that was a very important step. We have two unity corporations. We started creating more integration 
between the two organizations. So that was kind of my role in, in doing that and setting a, a, a new strategic direction. And then after seven years of doing that, I said, okay, I'm thinking I'm ready to get back in the field. So I'm, I'm here uh, in Sacramento right now. Well, we're grateful that uh, Unity Worldwide Ministries is one of the sponsors of Celebrating Our Soul. And yeah. you are one of our keynotes for Celebrating Our Soul, a new thought conference by people of African descent. Yes. Thank you. Now, why do you want to be part of the success of this event? Well, it's all about one thing, no matter where I am, no matter what I'm doing, how can we expand consciousness? How can we expand the spiritual consciousness, spiritual principles? So anytime I have an opportunity to make a contribution, particularly when I'm with other you know, like-minded people, I, I, I love to do that because I, I think we're going through one of the most important paradigm shifts in contemporary history as far as you know, global consciousness. And I believe the teachings that we have in New Thought are ripe for approaching or helping resolve or evolve the challenges that we're going through today. You know, the divisiveness that we often see, you know, maybe locally in the United States and politics and culturally. And one of the primary principles that we believe is, you know, oneness. Yes. And uh, how is it that we can come from a consciousness of oneness rather than a consciousness of two-ness or... <laughs> threeness or whatever the case may be. And, and if we begin to live from that consciousness, we will begin to create a world that will work for, for everyone. And so uh, if I can contribute, you know, to expanding it and you know, contributing it to it in some way, then I like doing that. And then it's far more powerful when you have others who are seeking to do the same. Well, I, see it there's a picture that's catching my attention that's behind you i see some black men in a picture behind <laughs> you you know i'm just very curious as to what's what's happening there oh that is a picture of the i don't know how much part i see in my part i maybe see half of the picture maybe you see more of it but it's actually a, half, yeah. yeah it's a photograph of what, what was probably known as the muhammad ali summit that was, uh, I think, in 1967. It was around the time that Muhammad Ali was uh, standing up for his belief, his Muslim belief that you know, he would not participate in the Vietnam War. And uh, they had stripped him of his heavyweight title and was threatening him with jail. And so athletes, prominent athletes during that time came together to support Muhammad Ali uh, as he went through his ordeal. So they had some some magnificent, I think a wonder that I see in, in my picture, I think is, uh, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar was there, Jim Brown was there, and, and a number of other uh, athletes. And I think some of them were politicians as well. And so that was the photo that was taken uh, when they came together to support him uh, during his challenging time. Now, were you involved uh, at any point with the Morehouse Hall of Preachers? I was inducted to the Morehouse Hall of Preachers, ooh, probably in the early 2000s, as I recall. So yeah, I, I, I was, and I was involved. You hey, go to a ceremony <laughs> and then you are inducted. I think you have to fill out an application. And I seem to recall that at the time, there was the, uh, a representative from Morehouse College 
from the theological school that had come to South Florida. And it might have been actually on a Martin Luther King event, and I was a speaker. And I think it was from there that I was uh, invited to apply or be inducted into the you know, Morris College more, uh, Hall of Preachers or whatever they call it back in the right. day. Yes. I remember you mentioning it on an Agape platform one Sunday. I just I, I just have that stuck in my head for some reason. Oh, well, yeah. You were sitting here on Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr.'s birthday. And I know you may be giving some thought to your message that you're going to give to the people that's celebrating our soul. What do you want people to leave with? I get oneness and I get that, you know, teamwork. Is there anything more around service or anything more around how justice is a spiritual principle or anything along the lines of what Dr. King has brought to our consciousness? Yeah, I I recently gave a a talk on, you know, some of the lessons that we can take from uh, Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King. And one of them, and there are about five that I picked from the myriad of things that you know he, he taught but he he really talked about the you know our interconnectedness our interrelatedness and you know the idea that you know we can never be as good as we can be unless everyone else is being as good as they can be and, and, and we can and they can never be as good as they can be unless we are being the best that we can be and so we are all interconnected on that soul level and it behooves us not only to be our best, but what is it that we can do to help other people be their best? Because as they are lifted up, everybody is lifted up. And, uh, and there's something very powerful about that experience. And so, you know, that would be something that I, you know, ask me about the message I would like the people to walk away from is that how is it that we can contribute to the well-being of others around us knowing that as we do that yes they benefit but so do we uh at in the same time because you know we cannot break away from the rest of humanity Uh, we are all part of one human family and if we begin to see that then i think that eliminate a lot of the us and them divisiveness because there's only one thing going on that's us and spirit and uh, if we help one part, it helps the whole part. It's a kind of holistic, holographic thing. So that that's what I would like people to see is that, you know, if you benefit another, you're not losing anything you're gaining. Everyone does. Dr. King said uh, everybody can be great because everybody can serve, right? Absolutely. He said if you street sweeper, be the very best one you can. And uh, no matter where you are, just bring your whole self to it. And I think everybody else benefits uh, just because you bring that energy. Uh, Even if they're not conscious of what you're doing, the way that you're approaching it has an effect on them on an unconscious level. So, And we're all here to reveal the presence, right? Absolutely. We are here to to be the vessels, the expression, to radiate it. The spirit is looking for us to do it. He, He probably gets happy. When we're doing that. <laughs> so I asked this question to all of my guests on Mystic Magic. Now it's your turn. Yes. Can you remember a mystical moment 
that changed your life? Sure. And I didn't get into a lot of my, my background, what led me to, to this spiritual path. So part of it is related to that. You know, I had what most people would say, some modicum of success in life, you know, going to a school that was a prestigious institution, going to law school. Uh, I did uh, practice law in South Florida. And at a very young age, I you know, did pretty well. But I didn't have a sense of satisfaction. And I discovered earlier on that, you know, when you try to get satisfaction from anything external to yourself, eventually you end up in a state of dissatisfaction because they can never fulfill you. I think most of my life I uh, was trying to fill a void within me. And that void was based on my belief that I was abandoned by my mother when I was very young. And that has a profound effect on your own well-being and self-concept. So I say all that because I sought to do well in the external world, seeking to make me feel okay. And that never happened. And so I ended up going involving in drugs and alcohol and my, my life collapsed. And I ended up going to a rehab center uh, to get my life together. And I had to engage in a lot of self-forgiveness for things I thought I had done to mess up my life. And I did a quite, bit, quite a bit of self-work and, and uh, self-transformation, I guess you could say. And so getting to the mystical moment, after that, two things happened. I, I could say I guess I had two mystical moments, but the first one was, you know, I had a lot of guilt for how I thought I had destroyed my life. And after going through a process of self-forgiveness, I woke up one day and all that guilt disappeared. That was just that was a miracle in and of itself. But subsequent to that experience, I was uh, heading back to my apartment or efficiency. I didn't really have a lot, you know, materially at the time, but it was the happiest times of my life because I began to understand who I was and what was important. And it wasn't outside of me. It was within me. And I recall I was uh, kind of walking toward where I was living and in a moment Everything around me collapsed into a sea of oneness. You know, there was no separation between me and other people. There was no separation between me and the trees. I was, I was almost seemingly able to see the vibration of coming down from the trees. And, and, and it, like I was like I was in the matrix or something. And I, I was able to see reality for the first time. And I, it's one of those experiences that you can't put well in words i think it was uh william james who wrote the book the variety of religious experiences and uh, he talked about what he called religious experiences you know he talked about one of them was the uh well one of them was the oneness experience there were three of them and i can't remember the others uh, at the moment but i had what i i understand what he was talking about and i think from that moment when i had that experience I began to see the world and reality from a different perspective. I began to see that there was only one energy, so to speak, one reality, so to speak, that appeared to be separate, but 
in truth, they were not. And so it really informs my own spiritual message. You know, there's a golden thread of the oneness that probably is part of every message that I have in some way, shape, or form. So it did change in, in my whole transform, my whole way of seeing things. Uh, I, I began to see less of the us and them. Not to say it doesn't crop up from time to time. The human stuff is still there. But I seek to always go back to that, that experience to realize when I'm engaging in an illusion. Yeah. Interesting how the divine leads us to our true path, isn't it? Yes. Yes. <laughs> So in I, a way that we never would have imagined, you know, you know, right, we, right. We, we can't figure it out ourselves. Well, you know, we're not the creator, right? <laughs> no, no, not at all. We are at the effect of the creator. <laughs> if we choose that, you know, and expressions of it. Um, yes. Yeah. So now out of the things that you're doing at the spiritualized center and things that you're doing everywhere, are there any events that are coming up that you'd like to share with our international audience? Well, that's a good question. You know, you know, as it's still coming out of COVID, mm-hmm. everything is like we're working from quarter to quarter on on activities, you know, at our center. Because but everything, online activities count too. Yeah. So we, you know, off the top of my head, I can't really think. We, we do have obviously our, our regular services that are online. You know, we have I think, what do we have coming up? You know, off the top of my head, because usually I rely on the staff to kind of put those things together so I don't remember them all. We'll put uh, the website in the show notes. And then yeah, your, the, your services are what, like 10 a.m. Uh, yeah, there we have 9 and 11 on Sundays. And so they are on, uh, uh, well, if you go to the website, slcworld.org, then they'll direct you to the services, they'll direct you to the podcast. Uh, we also have a associate minister that does a podcast on our own uh, Discover the Spirit Within You uh, podcast. You know, I've also uh, you know written a book, you know, how to, uh, what what I call this? Oh, remember the title of my book? God, I should remember that. Well, I'll make sure it's in the show notes. <laughs> yes, it's uh, Take Back Your Future. It's really about how is it you can create the future that you really want and the steps that you know I took in my life to turn it around, and I often do a workshop and seminar on that. So that usually will be I do that once a year, as well. So um, yeah, I think the best thing is to check the website and uh, find out that, and then I have my own personal website, jamestrap.com, that you know you can access the book and so forth. Great. Well, I am so grateful that you came to Mystic Magic. I'm so grateful for the work that you do in the world, for your heart of oneness and for your willingness to be inclusive and and your willingness to lead from a, a shared experience in an enlightened way. So thank you. It's been my pleasure, Rev. And uh, I look forward to uh, seeing you uh, at Unity Village in as in August, I believe. August 11th through 14th. Yeah, August 11th through 14th. And uh, I'll be promoting it to folks that I know as well. Great. Celebrating our soul. All right. Well, thank you so much. You're quite welcome. It's been a pleasure. This is Mystic Magic, exploring our spirit to understand our lives. In a co-creative world, we seek to unfurl 
openness and let our sails fly across the seas of you's and me's and be who we be together. In the storms we weather, we aim to untether an attachment to being right or commandeering the might. Instead, we seek to understand with a beginner's mind and offer a hand with a heart that's kind. Creating perfect teams and closing the seams of desperation and separation and our inner light beams. Integrated decisions move past collisions and cultural revisions of politicians to remove the suspicious of outdated religions and the transmissions of inhibitions from malevolent traditions and misinformed definitions. We look for higher visions and make provisions for a world that works for all. That is our call. We choose peace instead of war with love at our core. Releasing ambition and addiction, we cling to our conviction to being interconnected and resurrected from unforgiveness and separation, from condemnation and desperation to oneness, divine energy, the love that sets us free. Thank you for tuning in today. Be sure to check out our show notes for more information about today's episode. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Google, Spotify, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, and all of your favorite podcast venues. This is Mystic Magic, exploring our spirit to understand our lives.